All right, welcome into the last episode. And in fact, I believe this is the last podcast that will be on RJ Bell's Dream Preview feed for 2021, the year of our Lord. Uh, next time you'll hear from us will be 2022. That's the year that comes right after 2021 for those of you new here. Uh, this is the college basketball edition. I am AJ Hoffman. He is Griffin Warner. Hello, Griffin. Hello, AJ. Happy end of 2021. Can't wait for 2022. Yeah, I'm I'm actually so I've had four consecutive winning seasons of college football. And I do not have five consecutive seasons of winning college football. You still got time. No, I'm afraid I don't. And I'm I'm so glad that college football is going to finally take its big throbbing dick out of me <laughs> and just let me move on to next year because this has been just the worst season. It's been really rough. So I, I'm glad to be able to focus in on some hoops and, and hopefully get some of these dollars back from, but I'll tell you what, man, we talked and we talked about this on the college football pod playing against COVID news is a very, very difficult game and whatever confidence you bet with right now. And I, I this I think applies more to college sports than it does to professional sports because professional sports, they, they have to give some more news. You have to have your injury reports, your inactive submitted like college football. It's, it's kind of the wild West college basketball, the same thing. There's no, you know, hard and fast. We're, you're going to know by this time who's playing, who's not doesn't work that way. So, um, Whatever you think your handicapping is, I promise you it's not 100% accurate because there might be players at the last minute they decide, nope, this guy's not playing today. And that's a scary thing. And it's a huge competitive advantage not to say a single word until the Twitter account of whatever college basketball program I'm looking for five minutes before the game says this is our starting five and the five star or the McDonald's All-American or the highest offensive rating on the team is all of a sudden not starting. And then you start to wonder, uh-oh, what did he do? But it's probably COVID. And here's a great example of that. And and this is uh, an example of whether you got in early or, or got in late. But the Tennessee game last week that we talked about, Tennessee and Alabama, turns out Fulkerson and, and Chandler aren't playing for Tennessee. Well, that changes things, friends. That's their two best players. So there's a, you know, the, the early number is three, then it's seven, seven and a half. So if you got it, if you made your bet within that five minutes before tip, you made money. If you bet earlier in the week, you lost money. It, I mean, it's a, it's a tough game. And, and I got to say, uh, from watching that from start to finish, as there wasn't much else on TV, uh, I was so impressed with Tennessee and what they put together. Uh, and I feel like that was, uh, I mean, I don't know if I'd call it a robbery. I guess Alabama made it. They hung around. They made a couple of big shots late to really take a lead. But then covering those early spreads was like never deserved. I'm glad for the people that got in at seven, but I feel like that's probably four people that just clicked the submit button right before yeah. it tipped off. And I don't even know if you're betting them at that point because, you, as you said, you're missing the two most important players probably on the team. And then I wanted to give a second to the other big game that happened in LSU and Auburn. Boy, what a showing by Auburn. Uh, I mean, defensively, especially. And we've seen and I, I've been high on this LSU team, but LSU may be a lamb killer. Like it's it's one thing to beat up on teams that where you've got a huge athletic advantage. 
this was really the first matchup that they didn't, and they kind of got exposed. So I don't know if that's what LSU is going forward, a, a team that when there's you know equal or or better talent on the floor, they just can't figure out offense. But that's kind of what it looked like against Auburn. It's been a wild kind of ride with Will Wade, um, first with his like pine recruits for 150 grand or something like that and a brown bag whether that's allegedly i don't i know this is a family show despite our 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 beginning uh to the podcast but um i I don't know i don't know what to say about them um starting from down 18-1 and then making it a game uh was pretty impressive because plenty of teams would just give up at that point and really just start shooting threes and worrying about their own stats well they didn't Um, give up because they were up one nothing at one point oh oh okay got it yeah Yeah. i mean (laughs) so they they had a lead yeah you know it's tough to score early take a lead and then not score for the next 10 minutes of play but um you know i i think auburn is just one of those teams that are really really like i'm trying my best i hope the rest of this year that i am not betting against auburn in Auburn Arena, as we figured out in the last podcast, <laughs> um, they are scary. They are nuts. Someone, I think Jimmy Dykes mentioned on the Alabama broadcast that Auburn was the number one home court in the whole conference, which I'm sure is going to set Kentucky fans and their crowd off probably like crazy. Um, but yeah, you know that's a really tough place to go in and win. I wouldn't. I don't think that I'm ready to to uh, drop LSU too far from that performance. I think that was sort of an expected loss and I like the fight that they showed, but there's a lot of problems with LSU over the last few years with their defense when they play against good teams. So maybe that's changed because they have a lot of bigger bodies that are good at, at alternate or affecting shots on the interior. Uh, I just think Auburn or a team, if you can get them cheap at home, that's the side you want to play. I just, I don't know who we're going to get that against maybe Alabama the rest of the year. Uh, that's a possibility, I suppose. Yeah, it, it, that was just a, a, a really an eye-opening performance for me. I, I knew Auburn was good. I didn't know that they were going to be that good. So uh, kind of shoved it in my face. I, I, I actually had the over, which wasn't even close, um, thanks to LSU's ineptitude on offense. So, um, all right, let's get into the games that we can bet on this week, at least the games we can bet on for now. Uh, games are continuing to drop like flies, so d- don't get married to games because they might not get played. Um, But we will start with Villanova, uh, and we're going to project them a one-point favorite at Seton Hall. What do you see? Oh, man. I mean, from feeling pretty good about the bet I made uh, on this podcast way ahead of time uh, for Providence hosting Seton Hall, uh, best bet last week, which I think we'll we'll touch on probably later in the show. Um, But, you know, that was – one of those games where I thought, especially after seeing the Seton Hall entire front court, starting center, backup center, or center and power forward, both rolled out right before the game started, essentially, um, just as we discussed or talked about earlier, not even mentioning this game, it's just happening all over the place. Uh, I thought Seton Hall battled and fought really hard. Uh, Providence, I think, played okay, and, and maybe we're kind of playing with a lead too much, and we're trying to protect it more than actually attacking, but uh, I don't really have much negative to say about Seton Hall, who are missing a ton of players and really everything they had on the interior, and I gotta say, for this matchup, I'm not really expecting that they'll missed uh the game last night uh so that'd be wednesday and then play saturday but uh if they do that's that's that'll be a huge help but ultimately i think uh there's i still have a lot of questions about villanova Uh, i do think that they have a little bit more of an interior presence this season um with dixon inside who will be a, a really tough matchup for seton hall especially if they're missing their front court guys but 
Um, I think Villanova, we, we, I think at this point in the season, we've talked about them a lot on this podcast. They've been really in the, the biggest games of the week that we've discussed at length and maybe ad nauseum. And, and I, I just feel like their three-point shooting is not good this year. And that's especially going to be weak on the road in what should be a pretty packed house for Seton Hall, no matter what they're missing, because this is the biggest game in, in Big East play every, every year for them. Um, so, you know, I don't know what where this number is going to close. I feel like if there's going to be some some absences, Villanova might even climb from here. And and I got to say, as a, as a road favorite, Villanova is going to have to prove it to me uh, before I'm, I'm doing anything but looking at backing Seton Hall. Yeah, I th- I felt kind of like Villanova maybe got a monkey off their back with the Xavier win, and that w- that was a blowout win. Like they they controlled that game start to finish. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, you know, the road thing is a little bit scary, and I will say, like, I don't really know if the front court deficiencies or the front court absences for Seton Hall, even like against Providence, it mattered. Mm-hmm. against Nova does it really matter like you, you, I mean they're gonna have to play five out no matter what they're, they're gonna they're gonna be shooting they don't care if you clog up the middle they they actually hope you clog up the middle go ahead but one thing about Seton Hall is they have not they've not seen an offense that just shoots they've they've played a lot of these games against Providence that are or Texas against teams that want to bang with them uh they, they haven't gone up against a real shooting team and that could be an edge for for Villanova here because it's it's not the it's not the defense that that really suits Seton Hall. Like they, they, their defense is built to stop teams that want to come in and bang with them. Uh, and Villanova's not going to even they're not going to consider it. So I could see I, I could see Villanova winning this game. And and let's I'll just be honest. I I a lot of this is my preseason expectation was Villanova's the best team in the Big East. What's really happened? to change that they lost a game against UCLA that in overtime that they could have easily won. They lost to Purdue on a neutral. Okay. I mean, Purdue's pretty damn good too. They lost to Baylor. Who's the best team in the country right now. And then they had a bad showing against Creighton. And that's the, that's the one that kind of scares me. Uh, And you mentioned, you know, shooting on the road, and they shot like 17, 16% in that game from three. That's scary. But I I don't know if this isn't a good matchup for Villanova. And with them having some momentum coming off the Xavier win, I, I could see Villanova hanging in this thing. I could see them winning this game. So I think I lean to Villanova in this one. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame you for that, especially because especially I think even a second game back-to-back with a, a- – a decimated squad is going to be an even bigger problem for Seton Hall to see how they even bounce back uh, from from a loss on the road, but also missing some players. Um, I think it might even be bigger in the second game. I just I just feel like from what I've seen, and certainly Villanova has played a really tough schedule, which has got them on this podcast uh, so many times already. I think feel like we're talking about them every every show. Um, but you know, I, I gotta say, I, I'm still not really convinced that they are the Villanova of three, four years ago when they were the best program, uh, consistently in, in the NCAA. And I, I don't have any questions about Jay Wright. I think he's still great. Uh, I just, it seems to me that they're a little bit, um, their, their shooting is lacking or it's just not as polished as it was before. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, potentially looking to see, uh, what they do this weekend. And, and honestly, I'm, I'm going to be looking at the injury reports pretty closely considering a bet on the scene hall. 
Yeah, we'll get some questions answered about Nova this weekend for sure. All right, we two of the teams that we talked about beating Nova happen to be in our other big games that we're going to break down, and one of them is the Baylor Bears. Baylor, we're going to project as about six-point favorites on the road against Iowa State, and I'll take the lead on this one. I think Iowa State is is really good on defense. I, I don't know if I believe in them on offense. And I'm certainly not interested in betting on them against Baylor with a fr- like with a freshman point guard. It, it's just it, it feels like this might be a step up for Iowa State that is too much for them. Because hey, Iowa State's let's face it, they've been they've been really surprising. They're a lot better than I thought they were. I don't think Baylor runs away in this game, but I think they're going to make things tough on that offense. And the the one thing I will say, Baylor's playing just this is just their second road game. The first one was Oregon, and they trailed by ten points in that game against Oregon. Like they were down, it was like, what the hell's going on with Baylor? And of course, they come back and they win handily, and it didn't matter. But that's really the only game on the schedule that they've had a scare put in them was on the road. So maybe Baylor road Baylor might be a lesser version of Baylor, but. A lesser, a lesser version of Baylor could still be good enough to get some margin on Iowa State team that might not score 60 points in this game. What do you see? Yeah, you know, I think Baylor have basically become what a few years ago for me was like what I felt about Villanova, where the lines are probably going to be b- bigger than they deserve or bigger than I will make them, yet I need to look the other way and just ignore them. Um, I thought Baylor would take a step down. I think we both did coming into this season from basically being the best Baylor version of a team last year. And the drop-off doesn't seem that extreme. Uh, I'm also wondering really what to make of Iowa State. I think Hilton Coliseum is, uh, had a really quiet couple years, uh, last few years under Steve Prom before he was mercifully let go for, I don't think he could win less games than possibly. Um, but that, that place is going to be really tough to, to play in. I just don't know that this kind of mishmash transfer group, which is what exactly Iowa State has been built to be uh, under Hoiberg and then under Prom for a couple years while he was uh, kind of taking that ship down with him. Um, I, I just, I don't know what to expect from Iowa state in this matchup against, I think this is their biggest test pretty clearly because Baylor is the number one team in the nation. Um, I think that there's a good possibility that Iowa state can hang in this game. I just don't know that I'm in a position where I want to be betting against Baylor who seem to be a well-oiled machine that can kill anybody they come up against. Yeah. It's a pretty scary proposition right now. It's they're kind of like Houston. Uh, they're a team that if, if they can ride on you, they will. And there's not many teams that they can't ride on. So it's it's scary to be like, yeah, I'll take the dog against them because they w- they are bullies. It's just like best case scenario, I feel like, is a, a tight game late and then you're battling free throws. And I just don't know that I, I trust Iowa State to to do enough at the end of that game to, to hang within a number, which, I mean, Torvik has below five right now, which seems so low to me. Uh, but ultimately, it's one of those things where we'll see that number closes and, and of course, check out the, the COVID protocols right before the game starts. And yeah, they, like they're unbeaten, but it's like the Creighton win on the road is nice. Uh, they got a win over Memphis when Memphis was like at its biggest mess. They got a win over Xavier when Xavier was kind of a mess on a neutral. And then everybody, I guess they did beat Iowa and they beat a big rival and beat them handily. But everybody else on their schedule is like near bottom 300 in Ken Palm. I mean, it's, it's really, really bad team. So uh 
this is this is obviously going to be a step up for them. I'm, I'm curious to see how they respond. All right. Speaking of Creighton, let's take a look at Creighton against Marquette. We're going to project Creighton plus two on the road against the Fighting Shakas. What do you think? Oh man, you know, uh, I've had a already a, a merry-go-round roller coaster ride with Shaka already this season. Um, I feel like hit like I. I we talked about it at length that he didn't press at UT and that was basically what made him the coach that he was. Uh, I think that we've kind of reached a point where people know how to kind of handle it, but it's still really, really difficult to deal with when he's uh, turning the havoc button or pressing the havoc button. Um, What I am wondering about this matchup is, is what we really think about Marquette as a favorite. Uh, Creighton has had really, really big struggles on the road for, for years um, really good at home, really bad on the road. And honestly, I, I'm worried about Creighton just in general. Uh, I said, I think they're one of the weaker teams that they've had in, in recent years, and they've already shown big home road splits um, with much better teams. So um, I think right now the number seems a little short to me at minus two. Uh, it's weird to say that and weird to want to lay points with Shaka Smart. I, I will uh, admit as loud as I can that that makes me feel funny saying that I, I endorse that side. Um, but honestly, I don't think that I'm like trying to poke a, a hole in your number here either. I think that might be where it is. And honestly, Creighton has shown that it, it can really have some some big, big troubles on the road. So um, I, I think Marquette will get in their face. They they have a bunch of veterans. They have, I think, Quath inside is a really big shot changer, which will make it really hard for Creighton to do anything but shoot jump shots on the road. And I just don't think they have the shooters like they've had in the past. So pretty interested in back and shock as a, as a favorite and uh, going to have a vomit bag next to me. Yeah, I think we have some disagreement on this one. I, I think for the longest time it was like, oh, you don't you, you don't bet against Marquette at home. And, I mean, it, UConn just pantsed them at home before Christmas. UCLA handled them at home. And then even the wins that they've had, like they couldn't really get margin against Northern Illinois, who's, I mean, a dreadful, dreadful team. They beat New Hampshire by five at home. They did beat Illinois at home back in November, but that was without Kofi. It was, and it, I don't know, it felt like kind of fluky. I don't, I don't like either of these teams. I'm just not willing to lay points with, with Marquette at this point. I, I, I don't think they're very good. I, I, I watching them against Wisconsin, uh, I guess that was three weeks ago or something. I was watching. I said, man, what is this? They, they didn't even look like they belong. Like it looked like it was a, a, a Power Five team playing against like a SWAC team. It was just embarrassingly bad and I I don't like what Shaka's is doing uh I I think that there's some rebounding advantages right now on in this matchup for Creighton and extra and the the worst thing about Marquette I think is it's almost like the James Harden thing when you are a below average three-point shooting team but you shoot three-pointers at a rate that would like you'd think you were elite like it, James Harden shooting as many threes as Steph Curry. It doesn't make sense on any level, but that's what Marquette does. They shoot a ton of threes. They're 227th nationally in three-point percent. They're not a good three-point shooting team, but they just keep chucking them. I don't like this team, but I also I don't like Creighton enough to, to put money on them either. So I guess, long story short, I, I want nothing to do with either of these things. But I will say Creighton hasn't played since that game that they smashed Villanova in. But I think I'll I'll feel I feel better about the question mark that is Creighton than I do about what I've seen with my eyes that is Marquette. 
Yeah, I mean, Shaka's got no clue on offense, never has, probably never will. Um, and unfortunately, they're going to play a scramble game that is even if they get out to a big lead, a la the trip to Xavier, which ended up like leading for, the, I think, the entire first half, what it felt like. And then me like hanging on for dear life to cover a, a 10 point or 10 and a half point spread on the road. Um, I'm expecting if I get any sort of close to this one or get any sort of involved that it is going to be one of those games. I wish I was out, uh, picking Christmas trees or something like that while it's happening. <laughs> well, if you pick Christmas trees on new year's Eve, you, you <laughs> something's really, really wrong. Yeah. You know. Uh, <laughs> let's take a look at San Francisco at St. Mary's. I think this is going to be one of the better games this weekend. It's not going to be pretty because St. Mary's doesn't play pretty games. But I, I think this is a really good matchup. San Francisco, we're going to project at about plus four here. And St. Mary's has dominated this matchup historically. But this San Francisco team's better than they've been the past few years. Uh, they play big. They're, they're playing a little slower. And they're so that means they're okay getting into one of these St. Mary's slog games where it's just a, a grind. Ken Palm has this projected at 126. And, like, when I saw that, I said, wow, that might be high. Um the thing that that makes me like San Francisco, I don't even want to say I like them. The thing that leans me towards San Francisco here is that St. Mary's doesn't defend the three point arc, and San Francisco's been hitting threes this year. They take a lot of three. They're they're hitting threes at a top fifty rate, and they're taking threes at a top twenty five rate. And they're probably about evened up on the boards, or at least close to it. I, I'm really interested to see who comes out on this out of this on top. I think both these teams are looking at maybe at large possibilities. Uh, I think this is a big game, but I, I guess if I, if I had to pick a side, it'd be San Francisco. I don't feel super confident betting against a team that just historically owns the other. Well, uh, first of all, I'm very, very impressed that we're talking about a WCC game that doesn't involve Gonzaga. I, I feel like that is a big step for the pod and I think you're right. I mean, you've got your eyes on two teams that I would say if the season ended today are certainly in the tournament. I'm definitely not Joe Lenardi, um, but I, I'm very interested in both of these teams. And I, I fall alongside with you. Uh, I'm very interested in the Dons. I think San Francisco have one of the better backcourts that you not many people have heard of. Uh, I mean, AJ, you have certainly, but uh, not everyone who might be listening to this podcast has, has watched San Francisco play. Uh, I've had the privilege of, of betting against them and barely squeaking out a, a cover with uh, Davidson in the Steph Curry-a-thon at the uh, Golden State Warriors Chase Center. Um, and that was very, very fortunate, probably undeserved. And I think the San Francisco team is, is really, really strong. And they've honestly, I think, St. Uh, Mary's might have owned the series, but San Francisco has, has been a problem, even with weaker squads against a lot of the, the kind of premium members of the, the WCC in, in recent years, uh, given BYU and, and even Gonzaga sometimes some fits. It feels uh, like San Francisco's like knocking on the door of, of joining that group. Like Gonzaga like Gonzaga's in their own tier, and then it's been BYU and St. Mary's. I feel like San Francisco's like, I want to get in that BYU-St. Mary's group. I, I think they've they've been trying to get there, and I think Todd Golden, their head coach, who's one of the younger guys who's really embraced analytics, hence all the three-point shots, uh, 25th in the nation in three-point attempts per game, and shooting a good rate and also defending the three really well. I, I think that's going to ultimately decide this game, and, and certainly going on the road to Moraga and the high school gym that they play in is going to be a hard a hard position or a hard, hard place to, uh, to make a bunch of three-pointers, but... Um, 
honestly, over a possession seems like more than enough for me uh, to go against a St. Mary's offense that is just really, really stagnant. Um, doesn't really rely on the three as much as I think it should. They've got a bunch of big guys, but that's like exactly what San Francisco has is they are like a really strong backcourt with a very, very deep front court of like multiple seven footers, a great transfer from San Diego in Masalski. And I, I just feel like San Francisco are a team that I'm looking to try to, because I, I think I've, I've said earlier on this podcast earlier this season that the WCC is pretty good. And I think there's going to be a bunch of noise to be made by this conference in the NCAA tournament. And I feel like they might get more teams than they ever have before, at least from what I can remember. So I'm um, really happy we're highlighting it. And I don't really see, I mean, St. Mary's is going to play great defense. That's what they do. Um, but I think the low pace also will keep this really close and it makes every three point shot that much more important. All right, let's get into the good stuff. Best bets. We are, as we say, you, you got to win this week. And we are, my game is literally pending as, as we record this. So we'll know, I, I don't, I mean, we don't, we won't know uh, for a little while uh, exactly what, what the result is. But my, if I win mine, we get back to 500. That's the hope. We're back in the, uh, back in the saddle. Um, but, it, you know, we went through a, a rough stretch after a nice start trying to get things back. And it, I, I think that we talked about before, like the, the games you, you asked me, hey, can you give me a line for these games? And the lines you're looking at, I'm, I'm actually very confident in you this week. I don't know how you oh. feel about mine, but you asked about a lot of numbers that I gave a really good look at. So uh, I, I, I'm, I'm excited to hear where you're going with your best bet. Well, you know, the funny part is, is I'm going to have to do in a lot of capping and then a lot of uh, Twitter searches uh, to check for some COVID updates right before the games tip off. So f sorry to anyone that's following us on Twitter that they might come fast and furious, like right before tip off. But, you know, I, I was coming down between two of them, actually, to West Virginia, Texas. But I I'm going to pass on that one as I think West Virginia, there is a little bit of a blowout risk just from playing a really good defense like Texas on the road. Uh, I still think that number is projected to be uh, way too high. So that will probably be on my card as I just am not a believer in Chris Beard's out of conference scheduling never will be. Um, but I'm going to go with Wichita state. Uh, they are hosting Memphis in what should be uh, a pretty tough game for Wichita. I'll put it that way. But uh, Coke arena uh, is one of the scariest places to go for any team, uh, especially a pretty immature Memphis club that uh, really can't get out of its own way. We've talked about them plenty on this, on this show. Um, still pretty, I, I still don't know how they beat Alabama, but that also makes me feel like we're going to make a lot of money against Alabama down the line. Um, and, and I think this is our, our start to, I, I think the wheels are starting to turn. I'm feeling a little bit more comfortable as we get a little bit deeper into the season and kind of knowing who's who. Wichita, they're, they're certainly not the, the prettiest team out there. They're, they're basically reliant on two really good scoring guards, and I expect them to, to cause some problems defensively for Memphis, who just love handing the ball over. Uh, it's, like, it's like AJ and in, in, uh, in junior high stealing lunch money. Uh, and I expect Wichita to, to get to turn turn them over quite a quite a bit, um, and we're projecting a number right around pick them. Um, I would lay Wichita State all the way up to minus three. Is is I'm pretty much betting any favorite to minus three if if I lean that way. And I just think Memphis are 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 the Memphis program is in a really tough spot, and and I don't know that Penny's the answer. And I'm kind of shocked that he's um, gonna. Or I would be surprised if he if he has a long tenure there because I feel like it's it's pretty clear the writing's on the wall that this isn't working out. It's funny though because with Memphis, like the loss to Tulane is certainly alarming. 
but you could say maybe excusable because they had a bunch of they had a bunch of issues last minute pop up too. Um, but Memphis probably realizes that they're getting the kind of talent right now that they'll never get if Penny Hardaway isn't the coach. Right. And I'm I'm wondering if like do they want to give that up? Like, are they willing to say, okay, we'll take B level talent and you know try and make the most of it and and you know be a, a maybe a, a B tier American conference team or do we want to keep getting these five star guys and hope that eventually it clicks and we have a magical year where we win one I think that's an interesting I mean it's an interesting choice they're going to end up having to make yeah I, I'm going to go with uh, an NIT championship is not enough for a really proud program that <laughs> uh, is paying their coach probably a lot of money but I'll we'll, we'll, we'll see I, I'm clearly not an athletic director like where, where's Josh Pastner or Tubby Smith when you need them right I, <laughs> yeah. I don't I'm sure I don't, they're available I don't think John Calipari is coming back I don't I'm not sure though all right my best bet I'm going to go with Charleston minus two against Delaware and I'm counting on Charleston getting back John Meeks, who looked like he was ready to come back before the 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 break. And he's their best player. He's he's certainly key to what they're been what they're doing. But what's crazy is they've played pretty well without him. They won a road game at Old Dominion without him. Uh, that's a good feeling because I was worried. Oh, I said, I mean, we're, we may have to worry about this team on the road because they lost to Stetson, and it's, it's a bad loss. But the the other losses on Charleston's schedule, Furman on the road in overtime, no shame there. Oklahoma State on the road, no shame there. North Carolina by single digits, no shame there. This Charleston team is really good, and I just I've used them once before in a best bet. I don't think the analytics have caught up to them yet because they started so low. They started at two fifty in Ken Palm. They're currently one eighty three. But that two fit, I mean, it was basically an entire new team. Pat Kelsey came in, brought in all new players. It's a whole new squad, and they're better than the 183rd team in the country. They just are. I think Delaware's good. They're coming off back to back losses. They're, they're dealing with some injuries, and they've only got one top 200 win this season. Uh, I, I just think that with the new, the, the, the new roster clicking now and it, this is this is a team that's only going to get better as the season goes on. They've they've already got a home win over Tulane, who I think is kind of a comparable team from a talent standpoint to Delaware, and they held their own, like I said, against North Carolina on their court. So it's a, a strong home court. Here's the other thing: this is Charleston. We've talked about before the fastest tempo team in the country. Delaware's 347th in depth. That could bite you when you're playing a team that's just running up and down the court all night. So. I like Charleston here. I like Charleston probably up to up to four. Uh, but like I said, I project the number at two. Uh, and that is my best bet. Charleston Cougars minus two against Delaware. That is on Friday. Yeah. Um, Pat Kelsey, as you mentioned, coming in. And he's going to play probably 12 or 13 bodies, uh, depending on if Meeks is available. So uh, depth will certainly be something that, that he's using to their advantage. They're going to get out and go. And uh, I think it's it's always one of those things, especially on the road. I think depth is a big problem, especially for the thin rotations that are going to have to be dealing with Charleston running up and down the floor. All right, man, that'll do it for another episode. Enjoy the new year, everybody. Uh, don't don't be an amateur. I don't want to come back to any of our listeners getting DUIs, anything like that. Let's play it safe. Let's get an Uber. That includes our producers. Let's play it safe. Let's get an Uber. 
Uh, and we will be, we'll be back, like I said, in the new year with our next big episode, which will be Sunday night. Uh, so Griffin, appreciate it as always. Great work, my friend. Mackenzie and Brad in the back, thank you guys. Thanks to everybody who listened. Hope you guys all have a happy new year. And we will talk to you on Sunday. Good luck.